Today in TFC Stock Geekout, we're going to explore the different behaviors and psyche of enduring a market drop. What is that feeling that makes us sell our stocks immediately and just so afraid we're going to lose it all? And how do we fight it? We bring in real-life examples using the stock SEA as a benchmark on maintaining our cool. After this episode, we hope to change the way you think about enduring a market drop and be better logical investors. Joining me today is Max Go. He crossed his first million at the age of 29. He attained financial freedom while still holding a full-time 9-to-5 job. He did so by investing in high-quality companies. His investing style comes as a result of his background in marketing and public speaking, where he blends psychology with investing. For your reference sake, this episode was recorded on 16th of February 2022 and released to our community members. Our discussion today is solely for entertainment purposes, and it does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do to empowering us financially to do more for you. Let's geek out. Hey, Coconuts, we are back with our stock geek out. Sorry for the pause. Uh, we needed to get some things on our side fixed. And <laughs> we've finally, you know, Chinese news over. We managed to get some guests on. And today I'm so proud to have Max over here, right? Now, a quick introduction. Max actually crossed his first million at age 29 and attained financial freedom for himself while still holding a nine to five job. I mean, that's one thing I'd love to hear more, Max. Uh, he mentioned that he did so by investing in high quality companies, right? One of the things about Max is that his investing style comes as a result of his background in marketing and public speaking, where he blends psychology with investing. Hey, Max, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for having me, Rakesh. And of course, uh, yeah, thanks to the Coconut team for having me uh, back on in 2022. Really appreciate it. And yeah, look forward to just chatting, investing in uh, companies. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, I mean, firstly, you know, kudos to attaining financial freedom before 30. I think personally, when I was, what, 15, I said that and <laughs> look where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> too humble, too humble. Thank you. <laughs> awesome, man. And and today, Coconuts, we're going to be talking a little bit about investor psychology, right? So as, as you know, uh, with our market updates, we talk about the stock movements, this and that, and certain movement re- correlates with the stock drops or the stock rises based on earnings, et cetera, et cetera. But specifically today with investor psychology, we're going to talk about enduring market drops. So as you've heard in the multiple market updates, everything is read in my portfolio. Max, I don't know how it is for you, uh, <laughs> but it's not really good. Oh, are we me. in a market drop? I've, I've no idea. Right. No, just, just joking. <laughs> okay. Got it. We are in a very deep red. Yeah. Mine too. Okay. Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know, it, it's very easy for us nowadays with our phones and the, the ease of use to buy and sell apps to just press the red button and sell, right? And really just take that loss and be out of our misery. And, and hopefully with, with today's session, Max can, can enlighten us a little bit about enduring it. Got it, got it. Yeah, so um, I, I think for me, before we got on this podcast, right, because yeah. I mean, I was also thinking on my own portfolio as an investor. And I think the first things first is, yeah, it's not an easy time for sure for a lot of investors, myself included, I'll be out front. Right. I'm not like some <laughs> Zen master where I'm like super at peace right now. I mean, it does affect me, of course, uh, to a certain extent. But I think when you talk about market uh, volatility and trying to endure these kinds of drops, uh, there's two main things that I think I can just share off the cuff and then mm. yeah, feel free to just uh, chip in or just uh, dig further in right, Rakesh. Sure. So I think first things first is always, number one, you want to ask yourself exactly who are you, 
And I, I know this sounds super philosophical, but yes, I go yes. more towards the investing side where when you buy a stock, I'm sure we all know this from the Buffett days, it's so cliche. At the end of the day, you are a business owner, uh, but many people don't really internalize that. So what do I mean by that? I think I'm going to just mention a few examples. Number one, when you buy a stock, you are part owner of the company. Pretty much we all know that. Uh, but the problem is if indeed you are part owner of the company, then my question to most investors is, why are you checking the stock price every day? Mm. <laughs> right, right. So I think it, it's important to understand this because um, I think I was very lucky and fortunate. So with no credit of mine whatsoever, uh, in my early days, just purely by chance and luck, I was able to come across, uh, I would say, uh, the right mentors and people to learn from. So we have, for example, a few investors really inspired me, apart from Buffett, uh, uh, these two investors. Number one is this guy known as Li Lu. So Lilu actually is um, kind of, he manages Himalaya Capital, which is one of the few people who manages uh, Charlie Munger's money. Oh, wow. And of course, a uh, second investor that I'm very inspired by, of course, uh, is this investor known as Alan Mackham. So he runs this fund known as Arlington Value. It's a bit more underrated. Okay. So they are, they are pretty much more old school investors. And I've learned one thing that when you buy a business, at the end of the day, you've got to think like an owner. So the example I like to give is that, you know what, um, if today you own a business, let's say Rakesh, you own a business, okay, don't talk about the stock, just say you, you own a business. Yep. Every night or every morning, depends on which time zone you fall in. For Singapore, ours is every night, right? Absolutely. Every night, would you go on your computer, go onto an auction site, list your business for sale, even though you have zero intention of selling it, and then see what other people bid for your business, whether it's a high price or a low price, because it can vary from day to day, depending on how luck happens and whatsoever. And then based on how much people bid for it, whether it's high or low, then you feel good or terrible about yourself. Mm. Then after that, then you just remove the bid from the auction site, go to bid, next day repeat the same thing. <laughs> so so no, no one in the right mind if you own a business would do that. It's it's just doesn't make sense. It's, it's a torture, waste of time. Man. It's torture. In the question. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So because you have no plans to sell the business, why the hell are you listing it on an auction site just to see how much people bid for it? Mm. But then most people will know, okay, I will never do that. But then what's, here's my question. What's the difference between that and checking the stock price every day? Right? So when you really understand that, you realize one thing, that is the value of your business that you own is completely dislodged from the stock market because the stock market, how does it work? Like the name speaks for itself. The market, it's based on demand and supply. Yes. So it's just at that very moment in time, how many people are actually interested in buying or in, interested in selling the stock? And that's how the market price is determined, right? So back to the example, like you will never ever kind of uh, like feel set when someone else on an auction site bids low for your business because deep down you know how much cash flow, how much profit, how much earnings your, your, your business is generating. And that's the problem with volatility because most investors, mm. when they invest in a stock, they have no idea about all these metrics. That's number one. Secondly, even though yeah, they know okay, Buffett says things like an owner, it's a very cliche thing. In theory, we all understand, but to really internalize it, it's a very different mindset. So most people, my take is, in some way or another, we are still indirectly taking reference from the stock price movements. And that's why we still in some ways feel fearful, feel intimidated, feel scared and feel stressed. And to be upfront, I think even myself, I'm affected a little bit by that because I'm not a saint. It's just that you want to always keep reminding yourself at the end of the day, what are you buying? It's a business and the stock market, it's, uh, it's not directly correlated to your business after all.
Got it, got it. So if I can then summarize, right, and, and maybe even take a step back. You mentioned who are you, and I thought that was, that was like, where are you going with this, right? <laughs> but I completely understand <laughs> yeah. where you're coming from. Um, now, you said, you know, think like a, the owner of a company, because in, in truth, you own some zero point whatever percent of that company, right? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, as, as an investor and, and for our listeners, that we don't have any decisions that we can make to influence that company, right? So if I was a company owner, I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to increase my sales team by this much. I'm going to cut my expenses by this much, or at least try to. But as a stock uh, or an investor buying that stock, you don't actually have those power. So mm. how would you then differentiate, right? Because you talked about that, that owner of that company and so on. Yes. Hey, you know, like uh, Rakesh, you brought up a very solid point. Um, that's the first question that I asked myself a few years back as well when I first started learning you know think like an owner in my mind is like yeah but the owner has full control Absolutely. and discretion over the levers that they can pull like next day I can immediately cut costs <laughs> I can release people or I can tighten up my belt as an investor I'm merely a spectator in the game I have zero control I mean unless I'm like the board of directors in something like that but I, I'm not right <laughs> so um, I can only just spectate and watch so of course then the answer to that is just as silly as it sounds, it's just purely one, which is portfolio allocation. So it's you sizing your portfolio allocation um, such that you're able to kind of write through that even though you have no control over how the company is really doing at this moment, um, you can still sleep well at night. So I think you actually brought up one point that if I may, was actually a very big point of reflection for me personally, right? Okay. Um, in just the last one month. So I think the thing I always tell my friends and fellow investors that I speak to is that, you know, market drawdowns are good for one reason. They are super healthy because they force you to keep your ego in check. They cause you mm. to reflect and the pain forces you to go dig deep and evaluate whether your companies or your behaviors were they actually too extreme in the past? Because in a bull market, uh, I think we're all sedated by <laughs> e like, like the, the feelings of triumph and confidence and, and, and arrogance, what have you, right? So um, back to my point, right? So I think um, to answer your question, how does this, if let's say I don't have control over the business, how do I then still remain confident? During this point of reflection, I, I realized two things. Number one, or I realized one thing and that is uh, confidence can come about in two ways. Mm. Number one, it can come about mentally or it can come about physically. What does that mean? So mentally means, right, you understand like things like business owner mentality and you understand about, okay, uh, you want to know your companies and the numbers well. So that's mentally. But this mental thing will not protect you from the drop, like you mentioned, because you may not know the companies, how they're doing. So then the second thing is physically, which I think a better phrase is uh, structurally. So how is your portfolio structured such a way that even if, let's say, the stock drops 50%, because you do have a number of stocks, it allows you to still sleep okay at night. So I think that's very crucial. But of course, uh, when I say that, I think I'll be very upfront here. I run a very concentrated portfolio of like eight to nine stocks. Okay. So saying this shoots myself in the foot <laughs> and to be completely upfront, though, like why am I getting these reflections is because uh, during the last two months with this huge drawdowns and corrections, me having a concentrated portfolio, thank God I know these companies pretty well. But the downside I faced was that when they draw down, I can't kind of trim the positions to add to the other positions that didn't draw down as much because my portfolio is relatively concentrated concentrated so if the main positions draw down by a lot i'm definitely not going to sell at a point where it's way below the intrinsic value so i think mm. to answer your question in a super long-winded way um, it comes about from two ways number one mental which is knowing your companies well the, the financial the qualitative aspects number two is physical which is the structural aspect of your portfolio that helps you to kind of tie through the volatility 
does that answer the question? Yeah. So yeah. when you meant, meant confidence, so mentally you meant sort of like do your research, go check the intrinsic yes. value of the company, so on yeah. and so forth. And physically yeah. is yeah, and then a management team and stuff. Management yeah. team, um, even even hiring yeah. plans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And physically, you say is not just about that one stock, right? Because right now we're just talking about that one stock. Mm. This is effectively that one stock could go up and down, but physically is what are you doing across yeah. your entire portfolio to make sure that if this stock goes up and down, your entire portfolio doesn't go down either, right? Is that Correct. what you're saying? With okay, I, I think maybe let me clarify a bit. Your entire portfolio could still go down, but because you are not overly stretched into one position, physically, I think a better would be structurally, it gives you the ability to hold through a lot better as compared to, let's say, somebody, I'll give the other extreme example, mm. somebody who only owns, let's say, a one stock, and if that stock drops 60%, this guy's going to be... <laughs> pooping in his pants because structurally only has one stock. You get my point? Yes. Yeah. So I think that's what I was trying to uh, talk about. Yeah. Got it. So therefore it is do your own research, intrinsic value and diversification to make yeah. sure that yeah. it's dropped that much. Okay, cool. And I think for most of us and, and you know, perhaps we can do C as a good yeah. example here is that in, sure. in 2020, I felt I was King Midas, right? Everything I touched <laughs> turned to gold. <laughs> I'm sure you felt the same. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to say, you know what? Yeah. I thought in my head, yeah. I could do this for a living. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. and then yeah. late 2021 came and realized crap. Okay, <laughs> that was that was just my ego, all of it, right? And it's it's really tough when in 2020, 2021, because I knew as a you know investor myself, just starting out and just like any layman out there, that the, the stock price was a lot higher than the intrinsic value. I felt I felt it was it was bloated. The entire stock market was bloated, but it kept going up and up. And there was this FOMO in me going, why haven't I invested this this money that I've allocated to it? Because the intrinsic value is a lot lower than the actual price. But the price mm. seems to be just increasing and increasing, right? So in this sort of time, what, what do you do? Got it. Um, so I think you mentioned something which even... I myself uh, was victim too, right? So of course, uh, what do I do? I think first and foremost, I would be lying if I say I, I, was, I didn't feel happy whatsoever, right? So uh, <laughs> definitely there's some form of excitement. But I think for me, same thing, right? Back to the analogy, which I once again, I think everything always goes back to at the end of the day, you need to understand what the stock market is. The stock market is just an auction place for people to determine the bidding and asking between the demand and supply and then determines the price as to how much people are willing to settle for. So when you understand this, right, there are times, even though I feel happy, I think thankfully once again to these concepts that have been drilled in me from a very, very early point in my investing uh, career, my investing journey, I always catch myself and remind myself, okay, Max, um, you may be feeling happy now. So I'm kind of mm. like looking at myself from a third party point of view, like you may be feeling happy now, but what are you really feeling happy for? Because your companies didn't fundamentally change in just the last three weeks because the earnings normally are released once a quarter only, right? So the rest of the market and myself included doesn't have any new information, but the stock price is just going up because the whole market is going up. So in this case, are you happy because other people are bidding up your stock, which is demand and supply, or are you happy because the business is really executing? Right, so I think when I do that, I always bring me back down to earth a little bit and like, okay, so if that's the case, stay calm, don't get overly excited so that I'm kind of protecting myself from that overexcitement 
And having this mindset will then carry over when the reverse happens as well, right? So I can share, I think, uh, to give an example for C-Limited. Uh, in early November, before the earnings came up, right, they went up to as high as, I think, 360, 370. Mm. Uh, just to give some context right now, C-Limited right now is 150 bucks. Um, I think wow. as we're recording this on 16, <laughs> 16 February, which is Wednesday today, just a few days back, it dropped to 120 bucks because uh, of Garena, one of their games, uh, Free Fire, one of the games under the digital entertainment arm uh, being removed from India due to some uh, political issues but we'll talk about that later if you have time uh, and mm. so the, the stock dropped all the way to 120 but my point is when all these happens you can see how the market gyrates between extreme like euphoric feelings and extreme pessimism and my point is the same thing at that point of euphoria I always tell myself hey you know what maintain the awareness of self that hey you know what this is not something that represents the actual value of a business because see is at this point probably not worth 360 and so that kind of translates back to this point as to how i deal with it yep. got it got it so if i can recap then it's sort of keep yourself grounded right um obviously we're all happy yep. when we're making money but at the same time is okay was this an external factor or was this an internal factor and i guess that comes to yeah. that question that you asked of, of who you are and if you think yourself as the owner of a company you're always going to be relying on internal factors right at least yeah, exactly. From, and from my if I may just chip in something just came to my mind, right? Yeah, yeah. If, sorry to cut you off, right, Rakesh. And that is, um, so I was reading one of, one of Buffett's letters in my early years and I didn't really understand it until only recently then I really understood. So in my early years, I read quite a fair bit of Buffett's letters. In one of his letters, any one of you listeners who are listening or Coconuts listeners, if you're Buffett fans, you realize this. He said that I think he doesn't want Berkshire's stock price, which is his company, Berkshire Hathaway, he doesn't want Berkshire's stock price to move to a hit of its intrinsic value. And when I was an early investor reading, I was like, I don't get it. Right? I mean, if the stock price can go up higher, why not let it go up higher so that all the shareholders and himself included can be a lot wealthier and stuff, right? But then, so I didn't really get it. Like, if, like in the sense that if you can maximize, why not maximize? Absolutely. Right? But it's only when I really thought through all these volatility and in this period, which is why I say like market corrections are super healthy because they make you evaluate and really dig deep. And I realized, wow, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So Buffett didn't want his stock price, but of course he says this with zero control or ability to also control the market. He just says that he hopes that, you know, Berkshire had the way, which is why he's so transparent so that the market has as much information as they can so that it will not be overly priced. It will not shoot past its intrinsic value so that they don't have to kind of uh, go through that huge swings in volatility as well uh, because in that case um, the shareholder base can be a bit more stable and there's less churn in the, in the shareholder base so i think there's a lot of wisdom in that when you think about that so at each point in time the market will always give you a price that is may or may not be equal to the intrinsic value but knowing that you run a business and knowing that you are a business owner helps you think a bit differently Sorry to cut you off there. Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, and I think that's, that's interesting because I never really thought of myself as a, as a business owner when I buy a stock, right? So I don't know of coconuts out there that are listening. I look at it as I'm buying into it because, yes, I, I do my research, right? I look at my, my price loss ratio, the intrinsic value. I don't really do a DCF or Black Skulls model, I'll be honest with you, right? <laughs> I look at technical <laughs> yeah. analysis, but I look at the, the earnings, free cash flows, actually one of the big things that I look at. And then I go, okay, this is a good business. They seem to be expanding. I like the management team. And so I'm going to put some money in here. But the next day or the next week, I'm scrolling through Facebook or any of the news sites and you go, hey, stock has gone up from, what, what is it, 150 to 250. You feel so happy. You're like, oh my God, I'm God. I realized this. I knew this was going to happen, <laughs> right? And yeah. 
that's for me is is the part. So what you're saying here is don't think like you can make a quick buck in the stock market. And I guess that's where most people are thinking as well. Because if they put money in one $1 today, they will go, you know what? If, if tomorrow I get $3, it'll be amazing. Because that's the mentality as well, right? Yep. I, I think for me, right, um, let me try and crystallize this down. That is, as an investor, your yardstick of happiness needs to be very different from the average speculator. So if your yardstick of happiness is stock price movements, then you will always be at the mercy of your emotions. But if your yardstick of happiness is the company's execution and results, then it's very different. So I think for me, I, I'm quite proud to say at least I think I'm like 70% um, there in terms of anchoring my happiness to the yardstick. So I, what I mean by when I say that is like example, when the company releases its earnings and let's say they report, oh, um, they've expanded into this new region or like the mm. customer retention increases or they are able to grow customer count by like um, accelerated progress as compared to the last quarter or last year, for example, just giving some random examples. I can tell you like I genuinely, right, I feel super happy. So mm. I feel like a proud dad and in full disclosure, I have no kids. <laughs> so just, just say, right? so maybe you have kids right Rakesh but like I, I, I legit feel like a proud dad or a proud father of like wow my company's executed it's like it's like your kid goes to school and they get an amazing yeah. grade and then they <laughs> come back and pass you back the report card it looks like I'm going to be one of those Asian parents but, uh, but, but yeah I, I, I swear to God I feel so happy mm. uh, and so when you realise that you, when you're able to switch your yardstick of happiness I'm not saying that you will fully be immune from price movements we're all still human but at least there's a grounded kind of uh, anchor for you if anything your mind goes too high or too low you always remember this and that's the same thing right now right like so uh, Rakesh you're talking about euphoria but let's like turn the tables around right now it's a yeah. big period of pessimism but you yeah. think about it the companies in the last two months there were no earnings release earnings only started coming out in the last one or two weeks when the earnings season started coming up again but yes. in the last one or two months when the stock price and the market crashed like crazy here and there for most tech stocks like there were no real fundamental changes to the business so when you understand this it always swings both ways so my point is always learn to uh, have a different yardstick of happiness as compared to the speculator you are an investor a business owner change your yardstick yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, right? And and just to summarize that one, it's the investor versus speculator mindset. So mm. as an investor, you would not be looking at the price movement of the stock to be happy. You'd be looking at like what you mentioned, re retention rate increases or sales revenue increased because of XXX or efficacy of the yep. sales team increased. That is your yardstick of happiness, not, hey, my stock jumped 600 to 800 today, um, <laughs> which effectively yep. would become a speculator, right? So- how do you differentiate between sort of a speculative stock and a stock that you are going to invest in, right? And I'll give you a simple example here. Um, I, I don't know if C is a speculative stock, but I do know Tesla is. Tesla is massively marketed and you know, Elon Musk has got a cult following, et cetera, et cetera. How do you say, I am going to invest in Tesla or I'm not going to invest in Tesla? Got it. Um, I don't have the best answer. Because uh, I think even C itself, which is a business I'm invested in, uh, mm. is seen by many as speculative because of the fact that the, they have 
uh, huge losses and the losses are widening year on year, <laughs> right? So I, mm. I don't have the best answer for that. So I think if I may, maybe I can share a bit about my investing process yep. and maybe that can give a glimpse of my thoughts behind how I make the decision. But definitely I am not wise enough to know whether something is speculative or not. So for me, it's two things. So of course, I do want to invest in companies that are not speculative. So when I answer that question that way, it's the saying that, but I don't know whether at the end of the day, this is actually a speculative stock because I can only make the decisions as at this point in time with my own information and intelligence, right? So uh, I think for me, it's mainly about two to three things. Number one, I'll look at the past eight to nine quarters of metrics and track record. So of course, this mm. differs from company to company, right? So of course, um, the standard stuff are things like your revenue, your gross margins, and then the other things, depending on the company, can be like customer growth, um, user account, daily active users, or for Tesla, it's the deliveries. So for me, I'm not invested in Tesla, uh, but I do follow the company's earnings and results. I've been doing that for the last two years. Uh, main reason is because one philosophy of mine is I, I love to study companies that I have no intention of owning to kind of expand the number of dots in my head so I can connect more patterns because uh, good investing is all about pattern recognition. Okay, but anyway, um, so looking at Tesla, even I personally, even though I'm not invested in them, I actually don't think um, like they are as speculative as what most people would put them out to be and I might get battered by the real... Um, you know, cash flow kings and all that, or, or the real PE people who like, or yes. the value investors. Uh, but for a few reasons, number one, if you look at the execution, like we put all the hype aside, the execution in terms of the deliveries of cars, of the Model 3s, mm. it's actually pretty phenomenal. In the, just the recent quarter, which I believe is like three weeks ago, they delivered one of the best amounts of uh, Model 3s in that one quarter. And you've got to understand that this is the period where there's so many supply chain issues. Yeah. There's so many chip shortages they really did the unthinkable. So this is purely an unspeculative observation. It's really looking at the numbers and the execution. So that's number one, right? Uh, secondly, I do look at the founder, which I think in this case, that's where Tesla gets a bit of that hate because Elon Musk is Elon Musk and his all the talk about Do Dogecoin or like <laughs> on Twitter, right? So I think that does warrant a bit of that speculative uh, perspective from, from investors or from, or from the best. But you look at the founder, apart from like the company, how has this founder executed over the years? Um, so what I do is part of my process before I invest heavy in the company, I, I may take a starter position at the start, but before I start to increase my position sizing, I'll watch a lot of their interviews, a lot of their YouTube videos or whether it's Spotify, podcasts and whatsoever, try and understand the thought process. So it's the same thing for C-Limited Management, uh, uh, which is this guy named as Forrest Lee, right? So C-Limited Management or like for, for Tesla, which is Elon Musk, they all have certain thought process around the vision and the map. Is it concrete? Do they really have a clear game plan there? So uh, I'm just kind of summarizing real quickly, but so it's understanding the founder's vision and execution, looking at the past track record, not across one quarter, but across two to three years, it's consistently increasing and improving and then even for let's say like like tesla even though yes i think uh, it is pretty pretty overvalued but they are generating free cash flow even though i know the ratio is extremely out of whack right now but when you look at all these points and back to c limited as well c limited as, as much as it's speculative by quite a few people saying that you know what they're going to keep losing more and more money hey they are also free cash flow positive last year in 2020 so when you look at all these metrics allows you to really understand like when you want to invest 
at least I personally feel that I'm not investing in a speculative stock that's like pre-revenue and then there's like, oh, it's a mining stock. They're going to find this ore or this land that's untapped and then like suddenly the revenue will just spike. So that's the mm. kind of companies that I avoid. Yeah. Cool. Very interesting. When you t- were talking about founder interviews and really sort of interviewing yep. and stuff like that, you really felt your mindset is really quite different, right? Uh, a really alternative take because it feels like you are hiring Elon Musk <laughs> before investing yeah. into it. You are effectively That's interviewing him. Got That's it. The, I, I try to have that mindset, yeah. Got it, wow. And I mean, as a, as a business owner, I'm, that would change my entire way of, of how I look and, and invest before actually investing. So I think that's, that's really good for our listeners there as well. And, and lastly, right, before we, we sum up for today is you can be doing all of this. You run through the interviews. Uh, you say, yes, I like uh, Forrest Lee. I'm going to invest in C. I've done my homework. This is the intrinsic value. And I'm buying the stock. Now you say you buy the stock at 200. And now you mention it's at 150. So there's still that yep. drop. How do we fight that instinct that you don't want okay. to just press sell? Um, fantastic question because I think it's so apt right now at least as of this date where we're talking Um, so it always starts from back to basics the the business owner mindset and then from there where I mentioned just now conviction can come about by two ways number one it comes about mentally which is knowing the companies and structurally which is diversification in the portfolio so structurally Mm. that one I would presume we don't need to talk too much about that Let's talk about the mental side right now. So when you own a company, you've got to understand, first of all, what the, what the cash flows are and all these things so that you are able to go work out the valuation. So um, without kind of uh, boring the listeners, because I, I believe Coconut has quite a few episodes on C-Limited's backstory and, and, and the background by Thomas, I believe, a Steady Compound. So yes. I, I won't introduce C right now because we're just going to be repeating ourselves. You can go listen to the episode. But I'll talk more about at least as of current right now, um, the valuations in just kind of like a, a quick and dirty analysis. So it's so important to think like a business owner because from there, you're able to analyze the intrinsic value. And so I'll just uh, cut to the chase, right? So C-Limited, mainly three main divisions, the gaming division, e-commerce division, and C-Money, which is the digital financial services. So the gaming division, due to some, I would say, crisis they're facing right now due to the pullout from like, uh, whether it's like India, they are getting banned and a few uncertainties. The user growth on Garena, Free Fire has slowed down tremendously. Based off that, so uh, I'm not going to just bomb all the numbers because I think your, user, your listeners may not be able to follow. But let's say I use Garena. Even at this past 12 months revenue, I assume just a 12 to 15% growth moving forward. So just to give some context, right? The last year alone in 2021, um, they were growing at like rates of like, let's say 100% and then 60% and then 20%. So they were like decelerating, but it's still a pretty strong growth rate at about above 20. So I presume that moving forward, they will grow at like maybe 12 to 15%. So because of that the multiple will compress down to maybe like a price to earnings or price to EBIT margin of like maybe 12 to 15 so I just assume that same thing for Shopee Shopee is growing at like 100 plus percent gap revenue for the e-commerce arm I'll also assume that it decelerates a little bit to maybe 80-90% in the coming year for example I repeat the same thing for the financial services arm combining all these three things together without going too much into the, the nitty gritty I'm able to arrive at the intrinsic value for myself I realize even if I factor in the most pessimistic growth and because of that like a much compressed lower multiple I still personally get to like about 180-190 in terms of intrinsic value for C right mm. so of course I think to be fair and to be upfront as well I think the biggest fiction tool out there is not Microsoft Word it's Microsoft Excel <laughs> so because whatever <laughs> you plug into the, the tables you can get your own assumptions and you come up your own numbers but um, whenever there's market drops like this 
one way that I used to keep myself sane is to, to always go back to that spreadsheet and that intrinsic value calculator of mine and then go try and figure out, okay, at this price that the market is presenting, what are some assumptions that they are assuming? So at the 120 price, I knew that they were assuming that it's like as if like Shopee is like as if um, pretty much not existent, mm. which allows you to at least in that moment when you're so scared, find some solace and realize that, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not me who's crazy. Like it's the market who's really a bit out of whack. The only way you're able to do that is if you first understand the basics of the business, the financials, the founder. Only then does the valuation come in. Hopefully, your your listeners are able to see how all the things um, kind of connect together. And so, yes, you have to understand valuations in order to keep yourself sane in such drawdowns. And that is how you can kind of, I would say, fight that. Um, I don't know if fight is the best word, but how you're able to kind of stay logical in this period and to stay a bit more zen. Because when everything is coming down, I think it's naturally human that we all will start to question ourselves and if i may just add in i was listening to i think i forgot who was talking about this it was a podcast the other day by a well-known investor and i think it's so true right rakesh like this was just very recent i have probably heard this in some way or another but it's a very good reminder that you know what the reason investing is so damn tough is because it's so against human nature i'll give two Mm. examples right Number one, you think about it for a second, the feedback loop is so long. Like the very common, most of us as human beings, you go to the gym, like you work out your muscles, you go do a bench press or whatever, bicep curls. Yeah. The next day your arms are sore, you know there's progress. Yes. Or let's say today you're walking on the street, suddenly you you step on a, on a rock and then you scrape your knee or whatever and then there's blood. Ouch! You know you're definitely going to react by actually doing something. So the feedback loop, pump is immediate. By investing, you can take an action today that could be a correct action, but the stock can be flat for the next two years, man. <laughs> mm. Right? So because of that, it's so tough because you could be taking the correct actions, but the feedback loop is so much longer, which is why it's so tough because human beings, we need that feedback loop to then react and change the response. That's number one. Secondly, it's a bit similar to the feedback back that is the pain as a normal human being when you experience pain like back to the example you scrape your knee or you have there's a bruise what will you do immediately you will go clean the wound and then try and stop the pain put on a plaster wash the wound and stuff right mm-hmm. nobody in their right mind unless you're a sick animal will look at the pain look at the blood come out and just stand there and smile and then laugh <laughs> right you won't do that right you will go clean it up and stop the pain all right I mean, unless you're into torture, whatever. But the point is investing. <laughs> investing, you can't. Eh? Investing, if the stock is like 120, once the stock drops from like 150 to 130, 120, what do most human beings want to do? We stop want to do something to stop the pain. So we want to take an action. And what do most people do? Sell. Sell mm. so, that, so that I don't feel the pain any longer. I, I realize the loss at, but at least I don't see drop some more. So or maybe they don't sell. Maybe they, they average down. They buy more, which could be a good move. Or some of them at that point in time, because the pain is so much, they feel the need to revenge trade, right? So then they maybe like sell, put options, whatever, to try and like take on leverage, then increase uh, and kind of make back what they have lost. So you see, the need to take action is so is so inherent within our biology and our nature. But the problem is investing, you have to watch the pain, smile, be like that, that sick torture <laughs> person who's into torture, smile at it. And then just like just keep calm, which is totally, completely opposite. So I think it's because wow. of uh, these two inherent traits in our biology or genetics as a human being that I think is what makes investing so tough. So that's why you have to build in these kinds of psychological strategies like what I mentioned, even understanding the valuations and interesting value to kind of at least help yourself stay a little bit sane in such periods of drawdowns. 
Yeah. Wow, it reminds me of Monopoly. You know, the in Monopoly when you play Monopoly and you realize yeah. you're not going to win, yeah. it's a slow bleed. Yeah. And it's so yeah, yeah, painful exactly, because exactly. you just want it yeah, to yeah. end. <laughs> yeah, and you don't, you don't, don't even feel like playing anymore. Uh, yes. you know? yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Well, okay, that's a cool one. And, and I think a follow-up question, right? Right back to the, you, you were talking about the intrinsic value to stay sane and you do that research and all that. People like me, people like our listeners don't really have the time or don't even have the know-how to do that. So as a, yeah. as a layman, Right, because not everyone can achieve financial freedom at twenty nine, right, Max? Uh, so <laughs> um, but but as a layman, what are some of your quick tips that we could do to sort of arrive to that intrinsic value? Or is there no? Is wow. it just hard work? <laughs> well, this is a tough question. Um, okay, the reason I'm hesitating is because yeah, I would wish to give a shortcut, but. I, I won't be honest with myself because I think at the end of the day, to get to the intrinsic value, unfortunately, I mean, okay, by the way, first of all, there are a lot of intrinsic value and valuation calculators online that you can just input the numbers in. So the shortcut is yes, actually there's a few shortcuts. Just go to Morningstar, which is a well-known uh, research site for like stocks, right? Just type in the stock ticker and Morningstar and you'll be able to see the PE ratio, the price to free cash flow. So that's a very big shortcut. Mm. But the reason I'm hesitating giving the answer is because if you do that as the first step, without understanding the type of businesses you're invested in, then you will have problems looking at things from a big picture. I give a very perfect example right now. Thanks for just bringing up this question. I just recalled this. As of right now, I'm speaking, um, okay, maybe not now, but just a few days ago, the PE may have changed a little bit. I was just looking at the price to free cash flow ratio of three companies. Right, right? I'll share with you what the three companies are. First company, Coca-Cola. Okay. Second company, uh, Walmart. Right? Third company, Zoom Technologies, Zoom Video Technologies. Mm. All of them's price to free cash flow right now, as I was speaking on like a few days ago, is in the range of about 25 to about 30. They are kind of valued the same. Wow. But when you think about it, don't you realize that the market's out of whack already? They are valuing a traditional brick and mortar business like a Walmart or like a Coca-Cola at the same price to free cash flow, roughly the same as like a Zoom video technologies with 30% net revenue retention every single year, which means the revenue grow by 30% because of the customers just buying more packages and kind of buying more upsells from the company. And then at a revenue growth rate of about 40% with a margin, a gross margin of over close to 70, 80%. Right, so you realize something is wrong here already. And so going back to answer your question, that is like, can you do valuation shortcuts? Yes. Like, you know, if I just do a simple screen, okay, find me companies that are valued at like price to free cash flow of like 20 plus. Zoom will come up, so will Coke, and so will Walmart. So that's a shortcut you can take, right? But when you do that without understanding the quality or type of business nature, which I know a SaaS company will definitely at least be priced at least much higher oh, yeah. than a, a, even though maybe not like crazily high, but at least slightly higher than a, than a, like Walmart. a, 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 a yeah, Walmart or, or a Coke, right? So that's my point. Like, I can give a shortcut here, but I don't think it's going to serve the, the listeners in, in the best long-term results if I just kind of say that. Yeah. So sorry, I don't have an answer and I went one big round. No, no, but yeah. I think it's a good starting point, right? We don't have to get to, to where you are, right? Having an Excel spreadsheet with all of the different templates and this and that and coming up with the intrinsic value. But as a quick measurement, even across industries is, is what you were just speaking about. That could be a quick way just to get that fear of wanting to hit that feedback loop and stop the bleeding. Yeah. And then yeah. realize, hey, you know what? And maybe actually it's just my mind playing tricks on me. <laughs> it's not bleeding as much. It's just a little yep. bit, I can tahan, I can walk home, and then I can dab it, right? 
So it, it could be to that effect. And I think that's a really good tip, Max. So thanks. Thanks so much for that one. I think as a quick recap, we started off by just talking about a completely different mindset, right? With regards to, to investing. When you're investing into a stock, you are effectively the owner of that company. May it be 0.01%, 0.001%, but you are an owner of the company. And if you think that way, you would be looking at investing in a completely different manner. For example, you would do interviews <laughs> uh, with, with the CEO, <laughs> nice. right? You go and nice. find their interviews. You will see what they're thinking about. You'll see where their vision is. You'll see what their thought process is. You would then look at saying, okay, these are your figures, right? Because when you're an owner of a company, the big things are, what is my top line? What's my bottom line? And how can I reduce the bottom line? How can I increase my top line? And you will look at those matrices as your yardstick for happiness and your yardstick for winnings more than the external factor of the auction that you talked about or the stock market. Yeah. And if that's the case, then you would then go, okay, this is what I'm going to measure myself on and this is what I'm going to look at. So when I look at the stock market now, I would not be looking at what's the current stock price, but I'll be looking at my Q3 earnings, my Q4 earnings, did we improve? And that would really yes. put things in perspective because when we invest, we're investing in the company. We're not just trying to make a quick buck. We're not trying to speculate. You say it so much better than myself. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome, Max. Yeah. Any, anything to add there? Um, yeah, I think as you were sharing all those, I think the last thought that came to my mind was, so I think it's actually around your last question about finding shortcuts. I think because I understand maybe some of the listeners may feel very intimidated, like, oh my goodness, every company I has so many steps. So I think to kind of also share, you know, I, I myself, I work nine to five. So I'm not like a full-time investor or like I work in a fund where I do this as a full-time job. Uh, my main job is in marketing and uh, public speaking. So um, that's not my full-time job. So I think to share, right, uh, I'm in the same boat as a lot of nine to five employees who my only free time is, uh, you know, after work for about an hour or two if I have time or like mostly during the weekends. So I think I can encourage the listeners who are listening or anyone who finds this helpful you don't have to do this process for every single stock normally if i see a stock that catches my attention what i do is first and foremost i just look at the metrics for the last eight to nine quarters or the last one or two years or three years to see whether there's at least some growth is there some form of execution improvement whether it's customer metrics or revenue or gross profit what have you so that's what i call like a quick and dirty analysis so to share i don't do any of the listen to ceo interviews at this stage right so this mm. is like a filtering process for me i don't do any of that reading of the annual reports yet not even that i just look at the metrics do they show some excitement and promise for me and then based off this so this process of analyzing metrics at most will take you maybe about two three four hours at max if you're a bit slower and newer which i think is still pretty reasonable and then from that if it excites me then i start the main due diligence process so i think to share it split into two phases so i have the first quick and dirty analysis mm. and then the main due diligence so to share the main due diligence may take me a few weeks to a few months but hey at least when I'm starting the main duty, I've already done the quick and dirty analysis to know that this is a bit more worth my time to go dig in deeper. So at least for those of you who are listening, you don't have to feel worried, uh, you coconuts, <laughs> don't have to yes. feel worried that like, hey, you know, like every stock I must go through like 8, 10 hours worth of research. No, some stocks, the minute the first part you feel it fails, you just discard it. So this helps you to kind of uh, maximize the limited time that you have as a nine to five employee, which I am myself as well. Got it. Wow. Visibility test. Love, I love it. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. 
Nice. Well, well, thanks so much for coming on, Max. Um, and, and for Coconuts out there, if you want to hear more about Max, please go to his Twitter at HeyMaxCo. And he also has a Substack. He populates that quite a fair bit. It's maxco.substack.com. So please go ahead um, and, and hope you learn a thing or two. Max, I think just as a quick exit note, you talked about yes. two mentors when you first started, when we first started this podcast, yeah. and that was Lee Lu yeah. and Ellen Mackham. Now, in a quick yeah. one, two sentences, why them? So maybe we can start with Lee Lu. Yeah, so I think for Lee Lu, right, I would highly recommend all starting investors go listen to that because it will kind of uh, inoculate you with like the vaccine, <laughs> perfect uh, pun <laughs> at this point in time. Um, yeah, really, when the market crashes, right, you can see Twitter is like everyone's freaking out, uh, but you will really freak out less. I wouldn't say you won't freak out, you'll freak out less. Um, so I love Lilu so much because he was the first person that taught me one thing. The stock market is driven by demand and supply. It has nothing to do with your business. In fact, mm. I, I wouldn't spoil the surprise. Just go watch his interviews or his talks uh, on YouTube is all available for free. He actually explains the backstory behind the stock market. When you realize that, right, I, I wouldn't spoil the surprise, but the stock market was a capitalist tool created by greedy businessmen to raise money from the masses, plain and simple. Nothing to do with business fundamentals at all. So when mm-hmm. you realize that, it kind of makes you feel that wow, th- this whole time you've been like just being influenced by this fake movement. So that really helps a lot. That's number one. Um, Alan Mackham, I'm a big fan because of this saying that he has, which is very, it's quite funny. Uh, one of his sayings is, um, whenever you are analyzing your business and you feel like doing something, the key is, um, so you know the conventional thing is most people will say like, uh, what are you doing? Don't just stand there. So his saying is that he flips it around and say, you know what, in the stock market, like, just stand there and stop. <laughs> you know, most people will say like, hey, you know what? Don't stop and stand there. Move, move, move. Yes. He will say, no, stop and stand there. So uh, I'm doing a bad job explaining the humor behind, but um, very, very amazing guy that helps me to realize that one thing, at the end of the day, as a stock market investor, not a speculator, you make money from inactivity rather than activity. Mm. Right? So just something to ponder about and think for a moment. It's, it's back to my example about feedback loops, right? Because of the pain and all those things, we want to act. Every single thing, the price movement is a call to action. It will induce you, right? which is why investing is very important to never ever get tempted by these call to actions. And, and a big tip I can give as a closing tip is that for me, I never ever check stock prices on weekdays. Some people call me insane. They're like, Max, you're crazy. Like, in, in, like there's nothing wrong with looking at the price. I know. But to me, it's like I want to train myself to really think like an owner. Does a business owner have a stock price to check in the weekdays? No, they don't even have any stock price to check. So yeah. what's different between me and a, and, a, and a business owner? So there's no stock price. I don't check the stock price. In fact, when friends ask me about stock price on the weekdays or they tell me about it and they kind of mess up with my mind, I'll get pissed off. So, so that's me <laughs> um, being weird. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a big tip to share. Yep. Thank you very much, Rakesh. Got it. Thanks so much, Max. Uh, and Coconuts, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey Coconuts, so I hoped you learned something useful today. Definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We are not giving you recommendations here, but are always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series definitely has a lot more depth than terms, and we want you to tell us what stock to analyze. So if you have any feedback or ideas, do drop us a line through our socials or email us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. See you in our next episode.